0: We left off last week in introducing uh, the need for salvation, and so we wanted to go in and kind of set up some of the background, and and again, these classes are not necessarily designed, but they are in a way designed to build on one another, and they are uh, things you can glean from the other uh, classes that you guys have probably already been through, if you've been here any length of time, that really assist in your understanding of this class, and and vice versa so as you're understanding salvation you must first start with the very premise that we are in need of salvation there are a lot of people that don't think that there is anything wrong with them and i think the bible contradicts that in a great way it says that we're desperately sick we have uh serious issues i don't care who you are or what you think yourself to be i'm not as bad as the next person i don't do this or i don't do that well guess what God, in God's eyes, we're all unrighteous and have a serious problem with sin. Now, we want to uh, be able to look at the fact that unrighteousness is the bigger issue. And there are other parts that come off from that. And so a lot of people will just think, sin, sin, sin. Well, yes, sin is a part of unrighteousness. But there are several other parts that we have to discuss as well. Uh, We know that there are less that come these thoughts that are in our minds to do things that uh, aren't righteous. And, and to actually carry those out, you take that a step forward, for, uh, further with sin. Uh, but you also have a temptation. These things that are less in your mind and then you start thinking about, hmm, what would it be like to actually do this thing? Now, I uh, like the uh, the definition or the uh, illustration my dad gives often is uh I walk out of the room and drop $20 on the ground. And you look at that $20 and think, hmm, I could use that. There's a few things I could buy. And you obviously know that $20 is not yours, right? And the thought in your mind to take that $20, if you're tempted by that thing, that's unrighteous. Now, you could leave it at that, and it would not be sin for you to have thought that in your mind. But you could take it a step forward. Maybe I'm gone for a little while. Maybe I don't return, and you see great opportunity to take that $20. So you go up, and as you're going to pick up the $20, I walk back in the room. Well, you still haven't sinned because you didn't take that $20. You didn't actually do the action. But maybe I don't come back, and there's time, and you pick that $20 up. Well, now you've entered into the realm of sin, so there's a a process that goes into uh, sin. As you see there over in in your notes under unrighteousness, we see evil lusts, and these are my loose definitions of these, a a thought, not a though, a thought in the mind of an individual to knowingly commit uh, a sinful act. Uh, Temptation is the enticement of an individual to knowingly carry out that lust. And then a trespass is the actual decision in the mind of the individual to carry out and evil less without necessarily performing it, and you have not sinned until you've done the willful and knowledgeable performance of something known to be against the expectation of God's righteousness. And so, when you actually do it, sin is an act; it's not a thought in your mind. And that really um, uh, should be hammered home here. Now, go with me over to First uh, uh, First John five seventeen first John 5:17 and we see this idea of unrighteousness. And let's pick it up at um verse 14. He says and this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. If any man see his brother sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for, uh, uh, for them. That sin uh, not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that uh, he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness, uh, really there you could say and and, and, uh, flip it around, all that has the character of unrighteousness uh, uh, is sin, Um, and there is a sin unto death. Now, um, again, as you're looking at it in the Greek construction, it's not going to read the way that you read it there. Everything that's unrighteous is not necessarily a sin. And so if you think of lust in your mind, you haven't sinned. But a lot of people will take this and say, well, see, here you go. If you do anything that's unrighteous, it's a sin. Well, it doesn't always read the way that it does uh, in the English, in the Greek. And you could really say that all sin is unrighteous. Everything that has the quality of sin is unrighteous. And so you uh, see that there. Now, we're going to look at a, a few of these things and look at the process of sin. But I want to get over to... Uh, a couple of things that are revealed to be sin in Scripture. Uh, You see over in James chapter 4 and verse 15 through 17 that the refusal to do uh, revealed good is seen as sin. Those things that you know uh, and and know by being led by the Spirit to do these things and refuse to do them are uh, actually sin. So James chapter 4, and we'll pick it up at verse 15. And let's actually go back a little bit further because you see this guy, um, theoretical guy here who's making plans to do such and such a things. And uh, the way that he's conducting and carrying out his life is a, a sinful manner of, of carrying it out. Uh, in verse 11, he says, speak not, e- speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy, who art thou that judges another. Go to now, you that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city." And continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Now, I don't know, but Miss uh, J has a wonderful thing she says to us when we depart from each other. We, we say, We'll see you tomorrow, Mrs. J. She says, Lord willing, and if the creeks don't rise. <laughs> so she's not presumptuous. She doesn't have that gift of presumption that Brother Don was talking about <laughs> earlier. Um, she she uh, leaves that up to the Lord, but this guy doesn't. In verse 14, he says, Whereas you know not, What shall be on the morrow for what is your life? It is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away for you ought to say if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. And so the the whole motivation he's talking about here is how do you have your life framed? Is it to do the things that satisfy yourself or is it to do the things that satisfy God or to live in accordance with the will of God in verse 16? But now. You rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And so you see uh, very clearly stated there, if you know to do something, that's the will of God. And you decide you're going to do those things that satisfy your flesh. Well, uh, that uh, is construed as sin. Over in Romans chapter 14, and verse 22 and 23, we all also see. Uh, Acting out of doubt as a sinful act. Romans chapter 14 and verse 22. And let's pick it up in verse 19. He says, uh, let us therefore follow after. This this word for follow after has this idea of eagerly pursuing after something. It can also be used of persecution in another sense. And we went through a a series on this word uh, through the New Testament in in its passive forms. Uh, But it says, follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. And so, as you're looking in the context series, talking about relationships between your brothers and sisters in Christ, and what should be the barometer for what you're doing in those relationships—those things that make for peace—in uh, in the context, he uh, th- these brothers were not doing that. They were looking for those things that satisfied them, themselves before uh, those things that that edified their brothers. In verse twenty, for meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure but it is evil for that man who eateth with offence it is good neither to eat fle- eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak hast thou faith have it to yourself before god happy is he that condemneth not himself in the things which he allows and he that doubteth is damned if he eat because he eateth not of faith for whatsoever is not out from faith is sin. So uh you can take it here in the context he's talking about uh the liberty that you have to eat whatever you would like to eat uh and and you looking at that and saying, "Hey, if, if my brother is going to be stumbled by this thing that I'm doing, maybe it's best for not not for me to do it." And it would be hard for me to, me to believe that if you saw a brother that stumbled by a certain activity, that you can do that out from faith over and over again. I leave that to the individual, uh, but that's that's very hard to believe. You see a brother come to you and say, "You know what? You did such and such a thing, and then that, that really uh, it really caused me to stumble. I'm I'm really questioning where where you should be at with that thing you're doing." And I'm not going to call out any particular things for fear of. It may, you're making it into a law, but uh, if your brother is stumbled by this thing, it should be a contemplating moment for you to say, hey, is this more important to me to do this thing that brings satisfaction to myself? Or is it more important for my brother uh, to not be stumbled? Uh, whatever is not out from faith is sin. And so you could use that for any barometer, for any activity, if you're struggling to see what's a sinful thing and what's not. Can you do what you're doing out from faith? If you can't, then it's very obviously sin. Now we see uh, sin is also revealed as equated with lawlessness over in 1 John 3, 4. 1 John 3, 4. And this idea of lawlessness really is acting uh, in a way that there is no uh, constraint for your life. Uh, Basically, you can do whatever you want to do. the Satanists have this idea, um, do what thou wilt. If you've looked at, I hope you haven't been studying into the Satanists very much, but that's one of the, the tenets of what they, they do. They say that anybody should be able to do what they want at any time, uh, and that is certainly lawlessness. Pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. Really, they're the born ones of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it kneweth him not. Beloved, now are we sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure." Whosoever committeth sin trans- transgresses the uh transgress the boy, it's hard to say that today. Transgresseth also the law, for sin is trans boy, I cannot get that word down. I've got whatever dad had there yesterday. Transgression of the law. Uh and so uh really you can uh say this idea of sin is lawlessness. Um and, and That transgression of the law is a very loose (laughs) translation of of what's in the text. Uh, But lawlessness, this idea of acting as though there is no constraints for your life, that God doesn't have any expectation of you whatsoever, and you can do whatever you desire to do. Uh, I would say that's certainly, most certainly, out from uh, the sin nature, and you see that there. Uh, Now, transgressions is a a little bit of a different thing. There has to be a law in place for you to transgress. So when Adam uh, partook of the fruit, why did he transgress? Because there was a law put in place where God told him, don't do this. And he went over the line and he decided he was going to do it anyway. And so you see transgression in that way. Now, uh, we want to look at also the entrance of sin into the world. Uh, And I'm assuming a lot. I'm assuming, you know, the backstory of Satan and his fall and how Satan came to be a sinful being. And he certainly uh, was influential in passing this on to man. As you see, uh, satanic sin, we could go back to Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12 and look at that really quickly. I wasn't assuming as much as I thought I did. I forgot to put that in my notes. (laughs) Isaiah chapter fourteen and verse twelve. And let's pick it up at, um, We can pick it up at verse 12. He says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into the heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now, as you're listening to this, kind of get into the mind of Satan and see this thought process. Because it's not expressly stated, but we know a lot about sin and we're going to see it coming forward, there was an actual act of Satan that took place that he tried to actually carry out these things that are in his mind. And so as you, you think through this, look at the temptation there, look at the lust, and, and look at how he was carried away with this. Uh, and then the actual activity of it we'll have to infer from uh, our future understanding of, of sin. Um, but he says there in, in verse 13... Or excuse me, verse, uh, yeah, in verse 13, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the Mount of Congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now, what did most people and I, I was taught this from a very young age, even in Sunday school. What will most people tell you about Satan that he was trying to do here? I'll pause there so I can get a drink you guys feel free to what was Satan's intent not in your reading here but just as you guys were in, in Sunday school and what you were taught uh, coming along you didn't go well you had, <laughs> you had a little bit of a different <laughs> background Well, I'll tell you what I was always taught was that Satan was trying to overthrow God, right? Did you infer that from what we read there? He, He didn't say anything like that. He said, I will be like the most high. He didn't want to be higher than God. He's not stupid. He knew he couldn't be higher than God. But even in his corrupted thinking, he thought he could be equal with God or be on the same level with God. And even this, uh, we know, is a falsehood that that caused him to um, originate his own sin. Uh, He said, I will ascend above the clouds in this idea that he was going to be higher than all of the other spirit beings. He wanted to be higher than all of the other created beings and have them all answer to him on a level with God. Even though he was already the highest created being there could be, it wasn't enough for him. He wanted to be like the most high. In verse 14 or verse 15, he said, yet thou shalt be brought down uh, to hell to the size of the pit. Now, he says, shall. Uh, Again, another falsehood that I was taught when I was growing up was the fact that Satan is in hell now. Right. This is a future event that's going to happen. Satan has not been uh, cast down into hell. And so uh, we see that this will come to pass. But uh, this is his uh, sin. Go with me over to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28 and we see. A little different explanation of it. Ezekiel chapter 28. Now this one's a little bit harder to understand because he starts off talking about this Prince of Tyre and it's what you call a foil. He's talking to the man that's the power behind the Prince of Tyre, really. Uh, I'm often reminded here of, of, uh, you've seen The Matrix, uh, when Smith was the evil guy on The Matrix, and he had gotten into a human body and was using that human body to carry out his uh, bidding uh, as he operated throughout The Matrix. And at a point he told Neo, look behind this filthy, corroded flesh and see your nemesis. (laughs) It is me, Uh, Smith, who was there in the flesh. Uh, and so, it's similar to what he's saying here, look behind the person that he's actually talking about. It's the one that's controlling this individual. Yeah. Uh, you, did, you did remember that he, in verse 2 he's talking to the prince of Tyre, mm-hmm. and then, then he switches and he starts talking to the king, which mm-hmm. is the power behind the throne. So that's, that's, what, you, that's what you're saying, he's the power behind the throne, the foil. That's the, yes, yeah. correct. Okay. I make it clear in my, in my Pick it up from there. It says in verse two, "Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord God, Because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am God, I sit in the seat of God, and in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man, and not, uh, and not God, though thou hast said, uh, set thine heart as the heart of God. Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There is no secret." That they can hide uh, from thee. With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches, and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. But thy great wisdom and by thy traffic hast thou increased thy riches, and thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God Because thou hast set thy heart, or thine heart, excuse me, as the heart of God, Behold, therefore, I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness. They shall bring thee down to the pit and they shall die the deaths, uh, the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the seas. Wilt thou yet say before him that slayeth thee? I am God. But thou shalt be a man and no God in the hand of him that slayeth thee. Thou shalt die the deaths of the uncircumcised by the hands of strangers, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take upon or take up a lamentation against the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum Full of wisdom. And here's where he gets to talking about Satan here in verse uh, 12. And perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in the uh, Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering the sardis, the topaz and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald and the carbuncle and the gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee. In the day thou wast created. And so you see here uh, the splendor spoken of of Satan as you you think of all of these precious jewels that were uh, reflecting his beauty. And you get the idea that, man, this guy started to get a little carried away in arrogance. In verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Now, when we look at this word for holy mountain in this idea, it's an organizational structure that he was at the very top of. There was no created being that was higher uh, than Satan. Thou hast uh, walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day uh, that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, thou have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. And so you see there was an actual act that was carried out by Satan in order to try to uh, act on those thoughts that were in his head back in Isaiah. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, uh, from the midst of the stones of fire. Now heart, uh, thine heart was uh, lifted up because of thy beauty, Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by the reason of thy brightness, and I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before the kings uh, that they may behold thee. And so you see, uh, as it goes on a little bit more into the explanation there, that this guy or this being was just carried away in pride because of the fact that he was one of the most beautiful beings that there was created. But he forgot about one thing. He was indeed created. (laughs) He did not cause himself to be beautiful like this. God caused him to be beautiful like this. Uh, And so he sinned. It's expressly stated there. Now, Adamic sin entered into the world, as we know, through Adam and therefore was passed on to mankind uh, because all mankind came from Adam. Uh, Go with me over to Genesis chapter two. And you see that Adam was created and he was given. One simple instruction. He wasn't given a whole uh, list of laws like uh, the Israelites were given or anything to that uh, degree. He was given one restriction not to eat from this tree. Um, And let's pick it up. In verse 15, he says there and the Lord, God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Uh, now, I often wonder, uh, in the unfallen state of the world, what what was he really doing here? Was it, uh, we know that after he fell, that there was a lot of work that he had to do, right? He was going to till the ground and it would bring thorns and briars to him. Uh, but he was still given this this job of dressing the garden. So you, you wonder what that would have been like prior to the fall. Uh, but in verse 16, he says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely, or freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof you shall surely die. And really in the Hebrew there's a little bit stronger language you could say dying, you will absolutely be caused to die. So there was two kinds of deaths that were told to uh, uh, Adam that would come as a result of him eating of the fruit. And we can ascertain that that's physical death that he would start to experience. And it's immediate spiritual separation, which we'll talk about here in a bit. Uh, But the actual committing of the sin, we also see uh, too. Now, in order to see this process of sin and, and flesh out what was going on with Adam, I wanted to jump into James chapter 1 and verse 14 and explain this process of sin out a little bit more. Go with me over there really quickly to James chapter one and verse 14. I turn right to it. And pick it up in uh, verse 12. He says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, then I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his very own lust and enticed. So, what is there? There's a, and I did in seminary, uh, Pastor Dave wanted us to uh, illustrate this process of sin. So, I came up with, it. I can't find it for the life of me, uh, a graph that shows this. And so you have a lure that's out there and this little temptation that's dangling in front of the fish. Now, if you know anything about fishing, sometimes fish see those lures and they just swim right by them. There's nothing that they would be interested in, right? And that's how lusts go with us. Sometimes uh, things come to your mind and you say, that's silly. Why would I even think about doing anything like that, right? And there are some things that other people might actually be tempted by that you're not tempted by. Uh, But sometimes there's these little less that come along and you have a certain interest in doing them and they draw you away from your place of safety. Right. That fish that's swimming in the water. He's in a place of safety as long as he's not swimming toward that lure. But when he says, hmm, that's that's interesting. What is that little shiny thing up there and starts swimming towards it? He's moving towards danger. And it's the same thing with us. When we're enticed or drawn away from our place of safety into uh, actually thinking about doing this lust, uh, we have the potential to carry it out. And so he says, when you're drawn away of your very own lust and enticed in verse 15, then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And so there's a, a process here that this lust is festered. You decided, hmm, that would be a good thing. And now you've actually decided to do it. And what's not said in here uh, is at that point that you've decided to do it, you've actually trespassed, right? And you've offended God because you've decided to do something that's unrighteous and lawful. But at the time you actually go forth and do that thing and carry it out, you have sinned. Now, it's very important to see that trespass part because that's a part of what Adam did adam trespasses, we see over in romans chapter 5 and there are very serious implications just from his trespass and him saying that he was he was going to do it now imagine he had decided i'm going to do this sin i'm going to eat this fruit and then uh he didn't carry it out well there would still be some reciprocal damage of him actually having decided to do that in his mind probably wouldn't be bad as bad as the Uh, actual sin but it would have still been bad Uh, we can see that here coming up in Romans chapter 5 but you see the lust his lust Adam was to eat from the fruit of the tree Adams uh, was considering the possibilities he was tempted by it because he decided hey what would it be like to eat this fruit now given the fact that he had already had his wife this one that was made like unto him eat this fruit, this was a difficult temptation to resist, right? I mean, uh, all of us are almost married in here or have been married at a time, and you think about your spouse and that spouse having already ate from the fruit, and you know that potentially you're going to lose that spouse. Now I don't know. My wife might say, get, "Get out of here, buddy! You go, go serve that penance on your own." I don't know. She's not here to speak into it. And you wives, I don't know what you guys would do in the situations or husbands. But uh, Adam chose to to go with his wife. Uh, now a trespass. Uh, when Adam trespassed, he decided that he was actually going to eat from the fruit, and then his sin was then to eat or partake of the fruit. Now, Adam also did one thing that you and I don't do. He uh, transgressed because, again, there was a law given to him or a restriction of eating from this fruit. And he did it. Now, uh, the communication of this sin, we see again over in uh, Romans chapter five and verse 12. Go with me over there really quickly. In the New Testament, we alluded to this trespass. in Romans chapter five and verse 12. And pick it up at verse, uh, we can just read from verse 12. He says there, Wherefore by one man, and this is speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Now, he's not even talking about this fact that each person sins within his lifetime. He's talking about the fact that God counted you to have sin in the person of Adam when Adam sinned. And that this was passed down uh, to each one of us. In verse 13, he says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there, uh, where there is no law. Now, this word for imputation becomes very important to us as believers and to our salvation uh, because the work of Adam was imputed to every last one of us. It was passed on to each and every last one of us. But the work of Christ, and thank God for that, was imputed to us in the place of that work of Adam. And we see that uh, spelled out in this uh, uh, context as well. In verse 14, he says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. And so God, he said, wasn't even counting sin against people from Adam all the way to Moses. And yet people still continue to die. And this was proof of the fact that that sin nature uh, was passed on to you as well. Even over them that had not uh, sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who uh, uh, who is the figure of him that was to come, but not as of the offense, the trespass, so also is the free gift, for if through or by the offense of one, Many be dead, much more by the grace of God and the gift of grace, uh, which is by one man, uh, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And so you see the effects of Adam's sin. There was death, and it was passed on to uh, all of us, unfortunately. Um, Left off from my notes there. On top of page 4, point 3b, we see that sin uh, transferred or is transferred through the male children. Now, uh, if any of you have a problem with uh, what's going on or how things were designed, we can always point to our fathers and blame them for <laughs> what's going on. Many people do that already today, right? You have all kinds of issues and things going on, and they want to blame the parents. Well, they specifically should blame the father. <laughs> Leave the mother out of it. Uh, But over in Luke chapter one and verse thirty five, we see that this is passed on uh, from the father. And here in verse thirty one, he says, and behold, uh, the angel speaking to Mary here says "Uh, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be uh, great and shall be called the son of the highest. Um, <clears throat> and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. or are really there into the ages and his kingdom. There shall be no end. And then, uh, said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be? Seeing I have not, uh, I have known not a man. Uh, And so she is a virgin at the time, and there is really no conceivable way, right, that this should have happened. Uh, In verse 35, and the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and now the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also the holy thing which shall be born of thee or uh, from thee shall be called the Son of God. And so this was truly a foregoing of a male nature. Why? <laughs> because the sin nature is passed down through the male. And if the Lord had been born through a male parent, then uh, conceivably that sin nature would have passed on to him. And so you see uh, the importance there of, of the male passing on sin. Now we want to also look at some of the results that come from Adam's sin uh, that we uh, all suffer from. And so as you see the overall effects, uh, the unsaved people, those who have not believed the facts of the gospel and entered into salvation are perishing. This idea of perishing comes from our word apolumai, which means to destroy uh, or to utterly kill, to bring to naught. Uh, it has the idea that this, this existence of any person that is not saved by, by Christ and through his work are, are going to come to their own destruction. They're, they're Really, the time is ticking to uh, this ultimate destruction that they have. Uh, and so they're seen as perishing. Go with me over to Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. We see that the unsaved are in need of salvation due to this condition. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. And pick it up in verse 8. And he says there, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give uh, to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so as, uh, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham." For the Son of Man is come to seek and save uh, that which is lost. And I believe that word for lost there is our word for uh, perishing or or this idea of being abolished. Uh, And so you see it there. Over in John chapter 3 and verse 16, we also see that the Son was sent to uh, the elect uh, or so that the elect would uh, be saved and avoid this uh, condition of perishing. So we want to uh, definitely understand that John 6, three sixteen is not a salvation uh, text. And uh, there is only one salvation text that we'll see from from Scripture. But you do see uh, that the son's work was able to save those that are, are, are potentially would perish. And so pick it up in verse 15. He says, um well, just read from verse 16. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his uh, only begotten Son, that whosoever, and and really there you guys have heard it enough, that uh, the one, everyone the one believing uh, in him should not perish but have uh, eternal life. And so that idea uh, there that you'll be able to have eternal life from the work that Christ accomplished. Uh, again, not available to every single man. It's made made possible to every single man, but every man is not going to have this salvation applied to them. Uh, and so you see the um, perishing there as well. And then over in First Corinthians chapter one and verse eighteen, we see the gospel is foolishness to those who are uh, in this condition of perishing. First Corinthians chapter one and verse eighteen. I used to, uh, when I first heard the facts of the gospel, I, w- I wanted to go around and just start randomly telling people <laughs> the facts of the gospel. And I don't think there's a person in the world that wouldn't like to see every last person saved. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing to want to have people saved. But it's also uh, something that's not possible. <laughs> Everyone's not going to be saved. And it becomes more important to be led by the Spirit. In your giving of the gospel, and why? Because it'll tell us right here. Uh, pick it up in verse uh, verse eh, verse twelve. so paul is is clarifying to these Corinthian saints why he came and why he did what he did, and what his purpose was behind it, uh, and trying to clear up some of this division that's going on, but in verse twelve he says, "Now this I say that every one of you saith I am of Paul." and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul uh, crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in mine own name. And I baptize also those of the house of Stephanus. Besides that, I know not whether I baptize any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the uh, preaching of the cross is to them that are perishing foolishness, but unto us uh, which are saved, it is a power uh, of, of God or a quality of the inherent power of God. And so you see this, this power of God to bring men to salvation. And it's not going to be for every person that you run into. Most of the people that you see and and spew these facts to, they're going to say that's foolish, right? Uh, I'm often reminded, of again, of the pastor. He has these interesting encounters, and (laughs) one of the ones he had was at work where he was talking to this fellow about the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And this guy was just flabbergasted that he would say that a man could raise from the dead. And I would uh, submit to you, if you're surprised, probably that would be the reaction of half the people in this world, maybe more. You're not going to tell somebody that somebody could raise from the dead because they need to see it with their own eyes, right? And even then, probably they wouldn't believe the facts of the gospel if they're not elect. Uh, But you see this idea of those that are perishing would see this as foolishness. And they are uh, indeed perishing. Now the unsaved are condemned. We see that back in uh, John chapter three and verse eighteen. This idea that they are uh, condemned. And again, as we're turning there, you can think of the fact that we're all born into this state. We're born into a, a state, and we're thank God saved from this state and this condition. But We are born condemned. Uh, We can read on from uh, verse 17 since we were in 16 before. For God sent uh, not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so you see this uh, faith in the facts of the gospel that we're coming, we're going to save you from this state of condemnation uh, that we were uh, born into. As we read forward into John uh, 3 and verse 36, we see that the unsaved, are abiding in the wrath of God, and again I say the unsaved, and I would include us in that category prior to us believing the facts of the gospel. Uh, none of us were above this state. Pick it up at verse uh, thirty-three. He said he uh, that hath received his testimony had got ants crawling up here. <laughs> uh, has set his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loves the Son, and hath given him all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath eternal life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And this idea of abiding on him is in the present tense, it's continually abiding on him. Uh, And that idea there that if if everything were to happen like it's supposed to today those that didn't believe the facts of the gospel are going to experience the wrath of god and that's a a terrible and ominous thing when you think about it Uh, but it also uh, heightens and states the glorious grace that has been provided to us as well Uh, we also see that the unsaved have satan as their father as stated over here in jews uh, excuse me john chapter eight in this uh, interaction between the Lord and the Jews. Now, this is one of my favorite uh, dialogues back and forth here in Scripture, and the Lord really uh, calls them out for what they are. We don't have time to go through the whole context, but we'll just uh, look at this fact that they're of their father, uh, the devil. Uh, But pick it up in verse 40. He says, but now... uh, Well, 39, he says they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard from God. Uh, This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they uh, to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word, you were of your father, the devil, and the less of your father you will do or you desire to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, uh, really their own thing, for he is a a liar and the father of it. And so you see this uh, idea with these Jews here that their father is Satan. And they want to claim God as their father, but they're not uh, uh, acknowledging the one that was sent from the father. Uh, But this is true of of all of those who are not uh, saved. Uh, We also see over in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, Unsaved spiritually are born spiritually dead uh, and in their trespasses and sins. So Ephesians chapter two and verse uh, one really through five. And I've alluded to the fact that you and I were uh, born into this state too. It's going to uh, expressly state it here. And he says in verse one, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, by the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in uh, sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And so you understand here uh, that unsaved people are in a condition where they're dead, spiritually dead. You could almost say uh, for these people that believe in zombies and that the zombie apocalypse is coming, well, the zombie apocalypse is here. (laughs) There are dead people all around you, spiritually dead, uh, all around. And if they do not believe in the facts of the gospel, they're going to remain in that state. Uh, And thankfully, you and I have been saved and rescued out of this uh, condition. And so we see this uh, spiritual death. In verse 2 of that uh, same context, the unsaved walk according to the age of this world system. And so it's Uh, Their actions and their activities, our actions and our activities prior to our salvation were conducted by who Satan sets up over this world. You ever wonder when you look out and and see how people are so influenced by a lot of these Hollywood types and the people in the world, why they just blindly follow and listen to these people and they don't seem like they, they are anybody that should be listened to? Well, I'll tell you, the pastor says it all the time. They probably have a little bit of help. There's a little bit of influence going on to tell you, boy, doesn't this look like a nice person to follow? Doesn't this person look like they have it all together? Isn't this somebody that you would like to aspire to be within the world system? And the world system has these people set up all throughout it that we, uh, hopefully not we, but people in the world look up to and want to emulate, want to be like. And this is uh, these mature sons uh, of Satan that you see here. Now over in Mark chapter 7 and verse 21, we understand that the heart is full of evil things. Mark chapter 7 and verse 21. it up at verse 19 he says because it uh, well go back a little bit in verse 16 he says if any man has ears to hear let him hear and when he uh, was entered into the house from the people his disciples asked him concerning the parable and he said unto them are you so without understanding also do you not perceive that whatsoever thing uh, from without entereth into a man it cannot defile because it entereth uh not into his heart but into the belly and goeth out into the drought uh and uh, purging all meats and so you see here the physical uh, as opposed to the spiritual when you're talking about heart in verse 20 and he said that which cometh out from uh, out from a man uh that defileth the man or um, uh verse 21 for from within uh out of the heart of a man proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. And so you understand that uh, it's not anything that a person is taking in. And really, you could uh, almost relate this to, to what we saw in Romans chapter 14. It's not that meat there's nothing about that meat that the person is eating but the intent of what a person is doing is more important and where the motivation for you doing what you're doing is coming from is far more important than anything that you could take uh into your body and so you understand again there's a heart problem when it relates to man uh we're going to leave off there we've only got five minutes but we'll come back uh, next week and continue to look at some of these results um Uh, of the overall effects of Adam's sin, and we're going to see the effects of the spiritual death, how the spiritual death affects the individual, and finally, for that section, uh, the effects on the mind uh, as well.